Hello and welcome to The Stack. On this week's show, I speak with Jonathan Knight, head of games at the New York Times. And yes, that includes Wordle. Plus, a magazine about type design and typography. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack. 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. We start the show talking to Jonathan Knight, who is the head of games at the New York Times, a very important part for their brand. It includes the mega-successful Wordle, Spelling Bee, and my favorite, the mini crossword. Jonathan stopped by Amidori House to explain to me the importance of the games section for the New York Times. I've had a really great career. I'm super fortunate in sort of traditional computer and video game industry, working for a lot of big companies, Electronic Arts. I was there for about 10 years, Warner Brothers Games. I was at Zynga for about five years, working on, you know, big games, building, launching, operating games at scale, running teams. And I've just, you know, been fortunate to work with some great IP, some great people, and it's been a lot of fun. And you started, correct me if I'm wrong, at the New York Times kind of during the pandemic, really, right? Which I believe was quite such an important time for games in particular, because people, they were at home. I don't know, it was kind of a, a method of escapism. I don't know if you would agree with me with that one. Absolutely. And most game companies saw a real sort of pandemic boom, if you will. People were, were at home and looking for ways to spend their time, looking for things to spend their money on. I think for New Yorkers, it was particularly felt that city was was hit hard by the pandemic. And, you know, New York Times games certainly brought a lot of joy to people during that time. And, um, you know, I, I'm based out in California. I had taken most of that year off, actually. I wasn't working when lockdown hit. And um, in retrospect, it ended up being kind of a great thing. I got to spend a lot of time with my family. We were doing long hikes every day in California Redwoods. And, and then sort of late in 2020, got a call from the New York Times. They were looking for a new head of games. And, uh, you know, it worked out. And it's been great. And tell us a bit more about your job. Do you kind of oversee all the games part of the New York Times, which I feel it's expanding as well. And perhaps that's one of the things you are doing as well, right? That's right. We've seen a lot of success over the years with games. It's really been growing in the last few years. And you know, that's part of what I was brought in to do is really kind of capture that opportunity and, and help get us to the next level. We've been kind of driving with new strategy, with new content, making technology investments and improvements. And uh, games is really kind of an essential part of the overall New York Times strategy. It plays a key role. We've seen a lot of growth with it. And yeah, that's that's what I'm here to do. Well, and I think you, you mentioned investment. I mean, the fact when the New York Times bought Worldo, I think that's I mean, that's that shows you something, right? How has it been? I mean, things because it's been such a massive trend worldwide, I would say, even not not just in the United States. In fact, I can tell you here in the office, we were playing it. We are playing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're not alone. I mean, Wordle, like, look, it's an internet sensation, a, a true viral phenomenon. They don't come along very often. And in games, they, they come along even less often. So I feel incredibly fortunate to have been part of it. Obviously, the game was created by a guy named Josh Wardle, software engineer in Brooklyn, made it for his partner as a kind of a love letter. He'd never made a game before. And uh, I started sharing it with friends and family, and it just literally went viral in kind of a 
I don't know, Cinderella story. And, uh, you know, we were in the right place at the right time. I think the game was, you know, a perfect fit for our portfolio, actually. It's just, it feels like a New York Times game. It's elegant and clean and simple. And, you know, you find the word for the day and then you put it down and you, you know, you come back the next day for, you know, for the next puzzle. So, you know, it was just an incredible opportunity. We were right place, right time. And um, I think we've really capitalized on it. It's been like an amazing year. We just passed the one year anniversary of acquiring it. And um, yeah, true global phenomenon. Wordle was the most searched Google term globally of 2022, which is just kind of like outrageous when you think about it. So yeah, and we, we brought in all new audiences. Tens of millions of people came into the New York Times who'd never visited NewYorkTimes.com before. More international audience, a younger audience, more diverse audience. It's just been awesome. Oh, that's amazing. And, you know, I know you've worked with uh, video games before as well, but were you always a fan of puzzles like this as well? Crosswords, not just like Wordle and, and everything. How was your experience with those types of puzzles? Yeah, I grew up in a gamer family for sure. I'm one of three brothers and my father and his three sons, you know, he used to say that the four of us made a perfect number for, for board games um, <laughs> and for table tennis and all kinds of things. It was a good number. And, and my mother always said that she had four boys, her three sons and her husband. But we had every board game imaginable. I grew up playing chess and checkers and Go and, you know, and all the other board games. You know, in graduate school, I got all the way through graduate school doing the New York Times Sunday crossword every weekend. And then, you know, as I got into the industry, I focused more on PC games, console games, mobile games. But I've always sort of enjoyed games with kind of a, a mental challenge. At Zynga, uh, I ran the Words with Friends division for a period of time. And, you know, that's kind of a similar audience that's looking for, you know, a social game to stay, you know, in touch with their friends and relatives, but also to, you know, to kind of have a word puzzle and to, to exercise their brain a little bit. So that felt like a good natural fit for me. And um, yeah, I really love this type of game. And it's funny that those puzzles, they're also quite a big responsibility because if something goes wrong or something is difficult, people will complain in a way. I think, I think someone here in the UK said, you know, that it's all about the crossword. Don't change the crossword. Otherwise, people will stop buying the newspaper or something. It's so essential, right, for, a, you know, a newspaper or a magazine or a website. Our community of solvers is super passionate. Mm -hmm. uh, you're absolutely right. They care really deeply about the crossword. It's a tradition, and it's often a tradition that's kind of passed down. You know, people start solving crossword puzzles because, you know, their mother or father or their grandfather was solving the crossword around the table, and, and then they kind of picked it up and are passing it on to their kids. And, you know, the first crossword puzzle ran in 1942 in the paper during, during World War II, you know, a tough news cycle, right, as we would call it today. Uh, so it's it's a long-standing tradition. That said, it has evolved over the years, and it's important that we keep evolving it because, you know, the clues and the answers need to be relevant for the times. Uh, you know, Will Schwartz, who's the editor of The Crossword, he talks about this a lot. You know, when he came in in 1993, he made a lot of changes to how the puzzle is done, how it's constructed. He introduced the clever clues that we see today where it's a bit of wordplay with the, the question mark clue at the end. And uh, we do themes, but, you know, like there's a lot of crossword clues. There, there used to be a lot of crossword clues about New York Yankees baseball players from the 1930s, right? And um, the the clues need to be relevant. They need to be reflective of a modern society. You know, you don't think of a crossword puzzle as necessarily, 
you know, an opportunity to be to be uninclusive, but but it really is, and people need to see themselves and the modern world reflected in the clues and answers. And so we work very hard to keep modernizing the content in that way. And again, I mentioned in the beginning of the interview the the, the mini one. I, I love it because sometimes we're generally quite busy and perhaps you don't have the time to do the whole crossword but I think I think it's lovely the mini as well is it, is it popular as well it's incredibly popular um, people love the mini it's a good example of kind of a bite-sized mm. experience and you know at New York Times games we have a portfolio of games right we have the crossword as you point out is sort of the the core experience that's our bread and butter that's um, you know kind of like our anchor product But, you know, about four years ago, we launched Spelling Bee, which is incredibly popular. And it's a much more, I would say, approachable, more approachable and like mobile friendly, more family friendly word game. So that's been a nice variety. The mini you can do quite quickly. Um, so it's a crossword, but it's it's very approachable. And now Wordle, you know, is a very different kind of game. And, you know, I, some of our games you come back to throughout the day. Some you do very quickly and put down. And, and that's intentional. We, we want to have a lot of choice for people how deep they want to go. On the business side for the New York Times, which numbers can you tell me in terms of, of the subscribers? And, you know, what's your expectation for this year as well? Well, I think it was at the end of 2021, we announced that we had surpassed a million subscriptions to games. We haven't updated that number since. We, you know, as a company or more and more, we're focused on driving subscribers to our all-access bundle You know, the mission of the or the strategy of the company is to be the essential subscription for people seeking to engage with and understand the world. And news is at the center of that. But we have cooking and games and wire cutter, the athletic and so forth. So we've shifted a little bit in terms of how we're talking about subscribers. But, you know, you can think of it as like over a million subscribers to games, which is, you know, up from 400,000 just a few years before that. So we've seen pretty great growth and last year was another great year of growth for us and you know we we think there's a lot more opportunity ahead to continue to grow both kind of a games only funnel of people who are coming maybe to the app store downloading the New York Times games app and really just looking for puzzles and also kind of our news funnel where we're seeing like great success with news subscribers who then take games as well as a combination and that's a really healthy like product combination for for long-term retention on our you know our subscriber base so yeah like just a lot of great success and growth and we're excited for the future is there any plans for new games this year you don't you don't need to tell me if it's a top secret but are there plans uh, do, you, do you plan to move and kind of uh, you know i don't know absolutely look new games are really important part of growing in the future. You know, it's a great way to sort of reach new audiences. Wordle showed us the power of, of what, you know, a big new game can do for us. You know, that said, like, we don't want to have tons and tons of games. That's not our, our strategy mm -hmm. either. We want to have a few really high quality, human crafted, human edited puzzles for you to solve every day across kind of a variety of, of puzzle types for different people. But ultimately, we want a handful of, of really quality curated puzzles. So I think we'll be judicious about new games. If I can get a Wordle, I don't need another new game for quite some time. So that's been that's been great. We do have two prototypes in development now. We're always trying ideas in the background with the team, testing new games. We're having a a game jam this week actually in the office it's it's like a a sort of game themed hackathon where the whole team just takes a couple of days to come up with new ideas so those have been great they've generated some new prototypes and uh, we're going to be bringing at least two games out to the public in sort of a limited beta just to test and see if if they take off and see if people like them and 
And I'm, yeah, really excited about that. And I have a question out of curiosity. So, for example, Will Short, I know he makes this, the wonderful. Actually, I printed it. I like sometimes in paper, you know, to, so I can scribble down. Who checks? Is there a team that actually has to check his crosswords? What, what's the process as well? It must be quite complex, like every single day, right? It's way more involved than you might think. <laughs> and, um, you know, Will Shorts is the editor, but... You know, Will Schwartz doesn't actually construct crossword puzzles, which might be a surprise to people. Yeah. Basically, we we get submissions, and we get hundreds of submissions every month from the crossword constructor community. Those come in, and we have an editorial team that basically processes those submissions, chooses the most promising ones, and then starts to put them through like an editorial process where we work with the constructor to, you know, edit the clues, edit the the grid to, you know, kind of elevate the puzzle and, and really bring it up to kind of New York Times standard. And then obviously we're thinking about what makes a good Monday puzzle, what makes a good Saturday puzzle, you know, the Sundays are, are larger format. And then it goes through a rigorous process of uh, fact checking and uh, and editing and, and, you know, making sure that it's just right. And so, yeah, that's quite an involved process and it, it takes a full team to do that. Thank you very much, Jonathan. And now I'll go and play the mini crossword, a daily habit of mine. And now, for all fans of type design and typography, you're in for a treat. Matteo Christ is the founder of Footnotes, a periodical dedicated to those topics, with interesting stories even to known specialists, such as a look at a font for the Dutch telephone book. Mathieu explains a bit more about footnotes and why, even if you're not a typography expert, you might enjoy the title. I studied uh, visual communication, basically graphic design, and I worked as a graphic designer, mostly independently. And 15 years ago, I, I started to work with a friend on a project called Bulb Comics. It's a publishing house. So I got used to publishing But then later, as I was working in graphic design on type, I got really into type and I studied type design in The Hague in 2008. And then I mixed the two. So my interest in type and my experience in publishing. And one day I decided to publish this magazine called Footnotes. Which I, the magazine looks great. And of course, I'm holding here in my hands issue D. Uh, so tell us, tell us about the magazine for those who don't know. I know it's a yearly publication and clearly I believe this is the fourth uh, edition of it. So tell us more or less what can people expect for those that never seen uh, a copy of Footnotes. Each copy has about four or five articles. They are on various subjects. But in each issue, you have a series that's called Foot, uh, One Off. That's a series about projects where designers design a, a special typeface. Because I, I really, as I come from a graphic design background, I'm not really a purely type designer. I, only, I know people who only design type. So they spend their days designing or drawing letters. And sometimes I feel when you only draw, you, you're a bit disconnected to the practice of typesetting and layout and graphic design. 
So I really wanted to have a series, so which means I have at least one article in each issue from this series called One Off, where people talk about one project for which they design a custom typeface. And I really like this idea of a, a really the best typeface for a really specific project. And the rest of the articles are various subjects. Uh, there have been articles about typewriter typefaces, which I really like. Recently, in issue D, I, there is an article about uh, phone books. And there were also previously articles on phone books typefaces. The phone book story, I thought it was quite interesting. As you say, the issue is the telephone and the last Dutch telephone book. Uh, and besides the story, Mattia, tell us a bit more, because I think the magazine is quite uh, playful in a way, because with the magazine comes like a little piece, actually, of the Dutch telephone book. And it's so nice because then you can see it in person, how it actually looks like. And there's all sorts of, like, for example, this little note here explaining about footnotes and why you chose the color blue as well. I love that it's very playful, in a way, the design of it. Uh, actually, the, the, the sheet from the original phone books, the Dutch phone books, it's uh, a new... A new idea, because previously in issue A, B, and C, there were only a couple of goodies, I call them, a bookmark, a visual card, in a way, something where you have pieces of visual, visual extracts from the articles. So people, they get the magazine, they have this bookmark. Also, it's what, what is interesting about the bookmark, it's always the bookmark from the previous issue. So if you purchase the latest issue, which is D, at the moment, you get the bookmark from issue C. So you know what was previously published in uh, footnotes. And then you have this little card with the visual bits, which is something I like because it's intriguing. You, you wonder what it, what it is, and then you, you read the articles. But the, the sheet that comes from the phone books, this is really new, and it's I don't know if I will do it again. If I do it again, I do it really on purpose. It was the perfect issue for that because the, the designer had phone books. Phone books are nowadays gone. For example, in Switzerland, I guess this year or last year, it was the, they, they stopped printing phone books. So it's, uh, it's something rare these days. I found it interesting to have this little extra in issue D. So who knows what might I might add in uh, next issues. Well, I like that. You know, you always like to surprise people. And it is true about phone books because now they're quite exotic. I remember when I was a child that they were so common. I was like, oh, it's just a phone book. But now probably I would appreciate more if I see one. And uh, Mattia, a question for you. When you think about the people that would read footnotes, do you think I mean, of course, uh, the people that really are obsessed with types or people that work in the industry, they will be interested. But do you, but for example, the story about the Dutch phone book, I think a lot of people will be interested that don't necessarily kind of know that much about type in a way. Who do you think is the people that are reading footnotes? I think mostly by looking at the, the names and uh, sometimes when people order footnotes, I get uh, an email. So... Sometimes the email is is uh, based on a domain name, so I can see what people do, which I do sometimes. But it's mostly it's 
it's not really a surprise, it's mostly type designers and graphic designers. But I hope there are other people interested in type or curious people. And I'm, I agree with you about the Dutch book uh, article. I think it's maybe the, the, the best article in this issue in terms of accessibility in a way it strikes an, a really nice balance between the technical side of type design because the designer explains how he came up with this type which is for a really specific context and then you have the whole story about phone books everybody or maybe not young people but most people relate to these books they've had in hands and um, i think this article can can be interesting for anyone and i've i've tested it on on several people who has nothing to do with type or graphic design and the people told me that they appreciated the article they found it interesting and they had no problem understanding it and I do it sometimes. I don't do it before publishing the magazine because the magazine is, I know the, the, the public is mostly graphic and type designers, but once the magazine is out, I sometimes lend a copy to a friend who has nothing to do with this uh, subject and to get a really honest feedback because from my side, it's difficult to judge at some point because I don't, it's not possible anymore to be fresh and, and free to, yeah. And Matteo, I was going to ask, I know I, I looked at the website. People can also actually subscribe for the upcoming ones. I know it comes uh, once a year. So I believe later this year, we're going to have issue E, but people can actually go to the footnotes website and subscribe and perhaps buy the previous ones as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, when I started Footnotes, I had only a web page. I wouldn't call it a website. It was a web page, which was um, just a page when issue A came out. And since issue A was out of print after 10 months, and since it's a yearly publication, I like the idea that the page will be replaced and then you have you will have a new page without any archive of issue a you you will only have issue b and so on but b and c i still have some copies and i knew i needed to have a proper website so we with a friend we developed a, a proper website where you can have a look at all the issues order the issues and subscribe i had many thoughts about uh, a subscription model because it's a yearly publication, but uh, it's, I could call it nowadays occasional publication or periodical because the last one, it took three years to complete. And the next one, I won't publish it before 2024. So it will be two years because I need to sell enough copies to make a new one. It's not, I don't have any subsidies there there are no ads in the magazine so it's really important to sell enough to make a new one and Mathieu, of course you're uh, based in switzerland uh, i have a random question i mean the swiss are very good when it comes to type design right is it the case or do you think perhaps other countries are doing a better job i think all countries are yeah nowadays everyone 
not everyone, but um, type design has become more popular or accessible. There are many masters or in, in graphic design courses, you find type design courses. So I, I see many good design from everywhere. I think what sticks to Swiss or to Swiss type design or Switzerland is there is this uh, modernist approach or really, I could call it not geometric, but really strict approach to type design. And uh, it's it was so trendy at some point that it became, uh, they called it uh, international style. And I thought it would fade, but uh, it's it, it's still really strong. And it's I realized when I was sometimes traveling and meeting people, mostly when I was meeting other graphic design, I was telling them that I, I, I'm Swiss and then people were really impressed or, oh, it's Switzerland, it's so great for graphic design. I think it's good, but there is this uh, this trend or something, and it's still really, really strong. I, sometimes I'm really impressed that it's uh, it's not fading away. It's definitely not fading away, yeah. And 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 finally, just just out of curiosity, I mean, is there? I mean, I'm not sure favorite type, but uh, when it comes to a shop brand or magazine, something that you really appreciate in your daily life? Yeah, in terms of. Um, uh, branding, that's not really a term I like because branding is really a violent action when you brand an animal, for example. Uh, but when it comes to uh, an identity for, for, um, for someone or a company, I can't really, really tell. What, what I see and I sometimes dislike is companies changing identities really quickly because I, in the past, you would have a, a really well thought identity with a with a mark, with a maybe a custom typeface, maybe not a custom typeface. And nowadays, it's good for the business. It's good for the we're in a consumption society, so it's good for type designers because they can uh, design custom typefaces uh, often. But um, I would prefer sometimes that we can really appreciate when I see all the work that goes into a type, a custom typeface and identity. It's nice when you have a, uh, a company and when you can really see how it can be developed. And, and nowadays you just have this new identity and three days later you have another one. It feels yeah, quite harsh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's For example, there, there's a, a graphic designer uh, Chris Sowersby in New Zealand, he, he, when was it? Maybe five years ago, they, he designed a, a custom typeface for PayPal. And then um, a year ago, it was redesigned by a Swiss designer. And um, I thought his custom typeface was really, so the, the previous one was, was really good. And uh, maybe a bit not, not as, trendy as the new one and the new one is a swiss type design so the the company i thought it was more uh, identity before and now it's a really good type design but it's just another swiss looking or really strict type design and maybe it will last longer because it, it has less identity or 
but um yeah i'm not not too sure about this really uh these changes all the time thank you Mathieu. you should go to lapolis.ch if you want to go and buy a copy of footnotes and he also has a side project bulb comics and you can go to www.bulbcomics.ch And that's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Narho. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fpnmonaco.com. And we're back next Saturday at 10 a.m. London time. Meanwhile, we can listen to it again and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and monaco.com. Before we go, a little song for you. Lady Ray, Games People Play. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. It's goodbye from me. Should have known.